Jax Fizz. Okay, that should be recording. <clears throat> We're recording right there. <clears throat> All right, excuse me. Okay, here we go, everybody. We are, again, here we are, number two, talking about adaptations to aerobic training and a little bit of programming with aerobic training as well. Uh, we're hooked up right now. We do have, let's just double check, make sure everything's recording because that would suck to talk for like an hour and then have nothing uh, recorded. So we have the podcast going as well. That's why the earbuds are in uh, so you can hear the audio nice and clear uh, just because I wasn't sure how good the audio is going to be with um, the recording and maybe you want to listen in your car. So we're going to give it all a shot. So what's our goal? It's to understand and articulate. So I want you to be able to talk about respiratory, cardiovascular, and musculoskeletal adaptations to aerobic training and how they end up helping to improve aerobic performance. We've talked about resistance training uh, and the adaptations that happen to the muscle there. Uh, we didn't really focus on anything cardiovascular or respiratory with resistance training. Um, again, we don't really see too many changes there. Uh, we focused on eight ways, physiological ways that improve force production. So keep those in mind. Uh, and now we're going to talk about aerobic training again, focusing cardiovascular, respiratory, as well as muscle. So when we're designing an aerobic training program, pretty similar step-by-step uh, -step instructions as when we're to designing a resistance training program. But we're going to start right here. We got to figure out the type. Step one, what's our mode of exercise? So is it running? Is it rowing? Is it cycling? Number two is going to be frequency. Are they beginner or are they advanced athlete, which would determine the number of sessions that we do? How are we measuring intensity? We could use heart rate max. Uh, heart rate is relatively variable, uh, so it's not always the best one to use. We might use a percentage of someone's VO2 max. Uh, you guys have used the heart rate reserve uh, before, so kind of taking into consideration someone's resting heart rate, max heart rate, and determining different training zones. Uh, we could use the muscle oxygen saturation sensor. Uh, we've seen that that's been a marker of intensity that we have. <clears throat> so uh, there's really a lot of different things that we can use to measure training intensity. But again, we want to, it could be speed. Uh, we do want to make sure that we give the athlete um, some type of variable or number uh, to be training at. So that way we're eliciting positive adaptations. Exercise duration, volume intensity relationship. The higher or harder someone runs, the shorter it's going to be. The longer someone runs, say several 10, 12, 13 miles, the slower that it's going to be. No one can sprint a 10K, right? Um, but no one is going to jog 100 meters if they're training, right? So keep all of those things in mind. Just like someone's not going to lift 90% of their 1RM for 20 reps, physiologically impossible, physiologically impossible to maintain a sprint for a 10K. Same idea. And then exercise progression. So you're going to modify frequency, intensity, and the duration, right? And again, that has to do with that volume intensity relationship. So several different things. Uh, this is super blurry. I didn't realize how blurry this was. So you guys can see that, you know, we're just a little bit of duct tape and glue at this point with everything going on. Uh, but you can see that there's different intensities. Uh, there's very light, moderate, and vigorous intensity exercise. So those are classifications of exercise intensities. And you can see that there's different ranges. So we see a percentage of heart rate max. I believe that's a, I don't know what that 
says, to be honest with you, we see a percentage of VO2 max. Again, not 100% sure what that, what those numbers look like. Uh, they come up a little bit more clearly uh, in your PowerPoints, but they're very stretched out on my projection. Uh, so do make sure that you guys uh, take a look because there are ranges of intensity. We can't say someone is working out in a high, at high intensity and they're really only in a moderate intensity range. Uh, so when you are prescribing exercise, really be specific. And when you're talking about it, right? Oh, they did vigorous high intensity exercise. Make sure that it, they're within that range, whether it's percentage heart rate, percentage VO2 max, so on and so forth, right? So different types of aerobic training that we can do. So the mode is the uh, kind of type or the vehicle maybe we're using that we're using. Maybe it's an elliptical, maybe it's a rower, uh, maybe it's running, maybe it's your own legs, right? Uh, and so there are different types of aerobic endurance training. We have long, slow distance, pace, tempo, interval, repetition, and fartlek. Uh, and then you can see kind of the duration is going to be based off of the intensity, right? So interval training, three to five minute intervals at a one-to-one -one ratio. This would be near VO2 max. So they're moving, moving real quick. <clears throat> fartlek, which is really cool, 20 to 60 minutes, highly variable. Um, and I use this one because it's kind of a combination of long, slow distance running and interval training. You're just going to, you're going to be increasing the distance you're running, but you're going to have little bursts kind of of speed along that run as well. And keep that in mind, as we've talked about, it's always good that we have maybe those bursts of speed or that we uh, know whether we're training at moderate or hot or vigorous intensities. Because again, if we want to push the lactate threshold, we have to exercise above that intensity in order to elicit those adaptations. So cardiorespiratory endurance, what is it? It's the ability to sustain prolonged dynamic exercise. What we see is that improvements, okay, are achieved via the cardiovascular, respiratory, and muscle and metabolic systems. So that's our cardiorespiratory endurance. So if we're thinking improving cardiorespiratory fitness, we're thinking improving our VO2 max. I want you to think really hard. What does VO2 max equal? Think of the thick principle and we'll circle back around to it. So with endurance training, so we've talked, I just want to make a clear distinction. We've talked about responses to exercise, right? Heart rate's going to increase. Stroke volume is going to increase. VO2 max is going to increase. And we Talked about that in uh, in relationship to the thick principle, right? VO2 max equals blank. I'm going to leave it alone for right now. What we're talking about right now are adaptations to aerobic training. So what is changing via the cardiovascular, respiratory, and musculoskeletal system? So what is actually changing with training? We understand Everybody, no matter you're trained or untrained, is going to have the same response to exercise, to endurance training, right? Or to endurance exercise. Everything's pretty much going to increase, right? That's everyone. The amount that it's going to increase based off the intensity is variable whether they're trained or untrained. Untrained individual for, say, going from three miles per hour to five miles per hour, we might see a huge increase in something like heart rate, where uh, an untrained individual, or excuse me, a trained individual might be going from three to five miles per hour and their heart rate doesn't change a whole heck of a lot, right? But it will increase. 
Okay, with adaptations, we're talking about what is changing to the system, right? It's not a response. These are adaptations over several weeks. So what we're going to see is we increase our VO2 max, but we also increase our submaximal endurance capacity. So what we'll see is we'll have a lower heart rate at the same submaximal intensity. What that means is that, say, on day one, you're running at five miles per hour. Your heart rate gets to you know, 100 beats per minute, four or five weeks later, okay, let's say six weeks to be safe, right, maybe you took a week off or something like that, okay, uh, you got sick for two weeks, got quarantined, I don't know, okay, you took some time off, exercise for four weeks, four to six weeks, adaptations happened, okay, we'll now see that you'll run at five miles per hour, but your heart rate might be 85 beats per minute, okay, that's what we mean by an increased submaximal endurance capacity, and we'll see that heart rate decrease at that submaximal intensity. So essentially what this is saying is that that same intensity that when you first started to now say four to six weeks later, it's now easier four to six weeks later. So the FIC equation, VO2, right? Cardiac output and the AVO2 difference. Hopefully that one's stuck in your brain right there. Um, and we're really going to be working off of this equation because essentially if we're increasing VO2 max, right, we're going to talk about cardiac output increasing, AVO2 difference increasing. And if we're talking about improving cardiorespiratory uh, endurance performance, we're talking about improving VO2 max. But we've mentioned submaximal intensity. So we're going to look at these variables in relationship to what changes have occurred at rest, submax, and maximal intensities? I highly encourage us to be paying attention at what happens, say, to heart rate at rest, submax, and maximal intensities. Right? So, and there's other variables that I want us to remember to remember, but keep that in mind: rest, submax, maximal intensities. So Stroke volume, after several weeks of training, again, say four to six weeks of training, we see that resting, submax, and maximal intensities, okay? So at rest, stroke volume has increased. So after four to six weeks, your resting stroke volume increased, okay? Your submax stroke volume increased. Your max stroke volume increased. When in doubt, if you see an adaptation to stroke volume in regards to a test and asks what changes occur in four to six weeks to stroke volume at rest, sub, max, and max. For all of those, it's increase. Here's the reason. Plasma volume is going to increase. When plasma volume increases, that's going to increase venous return. That increased venous return increases that preload or that end diastolic volume. We also see what contributes to this increased stroke volume is resting and submax heart rate decrease. Remember, stroke volume heart rate relationship. Okay, Cardiac output will always meet the demand placed on the body. So if we're running at five miles per hour, okay, there's a certain heart rate and stroke volume, certain cardiac output to meet that demand. That demand is going to end up being pretty much the same, okay, but we've had adaptations occur now. So that cardiac output might be the same, but stroke volume increased. Well, if the cardiac output's the same and stroke volume increased, heart rate has to decrease to equal the same cardiac output, right? And so by decreasing heart rate at rest and submax intensities, increases the filling time. 
more times between beat between beats okay we also see that the left ventricular mass okay increases which is going to increase the force of contraction so there is some hypertrophy excuse me of the uh, left ventricle greater forceful contraction and a decrease in the afterload so less resistance that the left ventricle contracts against but now these adaptations to train they'll decrease with age essentially with everything aging things are going to decrease okay to keep things nice and simple for us so let's look at this pre-training right stroke volume versus post-training stroke volume okay how much more blood is pumped per beat okay at a given intensity right and if we think about this, there's more blood pump per beat. That's fantastic. More oxygenated blood. Okay. Cardiac output's going to stay the same because heart rate's down. But if heart rate's down, right, is this intensity now easier here or is it harder? It's going to be easier, right? If heart rate's down, okay, our perception of fatigue, okay, our perception of exertion, okay, decreases. So we'd actually say, oh, well, six weeks later, like running this fast is now easier for me because heart rate at submaximal intensities has decreased. So let's look at this between runners, cyclists, and strength athletes. Uh, I believe we're looking at left ventricle uh, diameter, uh, mean wall thickness, and the mass of the left, ventri left ventricle. Um, mass, I believe it's mass. Yes, it's in the book, it's mass. Yeah, I'll double check. Pretty sure it is. So, uh, yeah, so size, but yeah. Now I'm second guessing myself. Double check me, send me an email. Thanks, guys. Uh, runners, cyclists versus strength athletes. Strength athletes, obviously, not a lot of cardiovascular adaptation. It's just not really going to happen, okay? Uh, cyclists versus runners. The key thing that we see right here is mean wall thickness in cyclists and the mass. So, uh, the size of the heart, right, has. Oh, mean wall thickness. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I thought I had an epiphany for a second. I did not. Um, but why would cyclists, the left ventricular mass increase? There's not as much pounding with cycling. So they can go, they can exercise, they can have greater volumes, right? They can go further, go longer. Um, and so we actually end up seeing a lot greater cardiovascular adaptations again because they don't have that pounding and that wear and tear uh, their volume is able to be higher they're able to put in some more distance so again here's what we see in terms of left ventricle the cross-sectional area and endurance trained athlete again thicker wall okay there's some hypertrophy it's going to cause a more forceful contraction increased stroke volume versus someone who's sedentary and a resistance trained athlete right so someone who's sedentary they're not going to have that hypertrophy. And again, this hypertrophy isn't a scary, uh, dangerous hypertrophy. This is a you know, very minimal hypertrophy, but it's enough to increase force production. So the plasma volume, we mentioned increases as an adaptation. Uh, we also see an increase in some red blood cells, so an increase of EPO, right? Uh, and so plasma viscosity is going to decrease. I mentioned the increased EPO right there. Uh, even though hematocrit's going to decrease, again, it decreases just because of this increase of plasma volume as well. And all of this within the first two weeks, so I mentioned four to six weeks, okay, we're going to see changes, um, you know, that are happen pretty quickly. 
as opposed to with resistance training hypertrophy, again, kind of more eight weeks. But again, a key one right here is we're going to see an increase of plasma proteins and uh, sodium and water retention where sodium goes, water is going to go because we have an increase of these hormones, uh, antidiuretic hormone and aldosterone. So think about it this way, plasma volume is going to increase, uh, decrease, that decreases the plasma viscosity, allows the blood to flow uh, more easily. The reason it increases is because we have an increase of ADH and aldosterone. This is going to increase, cause an increase in sodium and water retention. Okay, and then we're also going to see an increase of red blood cells, increase of e because of an increase of EPO. Even though hematocrit will decrease, the reason it decreases is because the amount of red blood cells that increases in relationship to the amount of plasma volume is not the same because we increase plasma volume a lot more. Now, so stroke volume at rest and adaptation increases at submax increases at max increases heart rate at rest okay and adaptation right decreased resting heart rate decreased submax heart rate max heart rate stays the same right if we think about the 220 minus our age maximal heart rate stays the same but resting heart rate is going to decrease submax heart rate is going to decrease as well this is because we see an increase of parasympathetic activity and a decrease in sympathetic activity. Now, there's that heart rate stroke volume interaction, right? So heart rate decreases, stroke volume increases, okay? Uh, and so there's this interaction between the two, okay? In which if stroke volume increases, right? We're gonna see heart rate decrease, okay, right? Increase the plasma volume, stroke volume can now increase. So heart rate goes down to maintain that optimal cardiac output. Another thing we'll see with heart rate is we'll see a faster recovery, which is more of an indirect uh, measurement of cardiorespiratory fitness. So, and that's just displayed right here. Again, it kind of looks like our EPOC curve, right? We see this same curve with um, VO2. We see it with heart rate. We see it with ventilation. Um, again, the faster we recover, the we'd say the more cardiovascular cardiovascularly in shape someone is. Now, what happens with cardiac output? Well, let's go back. Heart rate at rest. Okay, again, let's think about adaptations over four weeks. Heart rate at rest decreases. Heart rate at submax intensities decreases. Heart rate max stays the same. Heart or stroke volume at rest increases. Stroke volume at submax intensities increases. Stroke volume at max intensities increases. So if we're thinking about what's going up and what's going down, cardiac output is pretty much going to stay the same, right? Except for at max. So maximal cardiac output is going to increase because heart rate max stays the same at max. Stroke volume max increases, so heart rate times stroke volume. If one increases, then cardiac output max increases. So at rest and submax, there's really no change in cardiac output. So uh, what does this do? We see right here VO2 max. So that's this is kind of the physiology behind why VO2 max increases. Uh, we also see the AVO2 difference increases. 
Okay, increase of O2 extraction, and we'll talk about some adaptations that happen at the muscle level to increase the extraction. And so we see an increase of max AVO2 difference, max stroke volume, max heart rate. You see there's nothing there, so it stays the same. And so VO2 max ends up increasing. So what are these adaptations that we see to the muscle? We do see a little bit of hypertrophy of type 1 fibers, and we see that type 2X will transition to type 2A fibers, meaning they're a little bit more uh, fatigue resistant, right? We'll see capillary supply, so an increase in capillarization. Oh, it did it again. I have to enter my password. I was doing so good, guys. Okay, fantastic. We're back. Okay. I gotta keep doing the little shaky thing to keep my monitor on. Capillary supply, increased capillarization, okay? Through angiogenesis, we're gonna see more capillaries become uh, be produced. So now we have increased the stroke volume. So that means more blood's being pumped per beat. It needs more deltas to go to, right? Otherwise it's gonna kinda get backed up. So we see an increase of capillarization. So there's more routes for that more blood to travel. We see mitochondrial function, okay, improve. So we increase the size and number of our mitochondria. So they become bigger, better, and we get more of them. So if we have more of that oxygenated blood, so let's go back to stroke volume. More oxygenated blood pump per beat. More avenues to accommodate all of that. With more avenues, now hemoglobin drops off oxygen, okay? That oxygen needs somewhere to go. Well, there's got to be more of something. If there's more oxygen, there's got to be more carriers for it. Increase of myoglobin by 75 to 80%. Right? So now there's more carriers for oxygen in the muscle cell. And now all of this myoglobin has all of this oxygen, and it's going to take it to the more mitochondria that it has to, again, produce more ATP. Now, uh, there comes a point, though, where we start to see that VO2 max kind of plateaus, right? But, imp uh, but performance continues to improve. And a lot of it has to do with oxidative enzyme activity. It increases with training. So these, enzy or these uh, enzymes that we're looking at are within the Krebs cycle. So if this enzymatic activity increases, the Krebs cycle happens faster. If it's happening faster, we're producing ATP faster. And so right here, here's the change in VO2 max. As you can see, after just like two months, it kind of stays relatively the same, right? It starts to go up a little bit right there towards the end. But the change in sustenate dehydrogenase, so this is one enzyme, continues to increase, okay? Training distance, as it continues to increase, right? So... This is succinate dehydrogenase, citrate synthase, again, enzymes that are within the Krebs cycle. In an untrained, moderately trained, and highly trained individual, you can see this highly trained, endurance trained individual has an increased activity um, of those enzymes. Now, what happens with blood pressure? Okay, we understand in a normal, healthy individual, okay, someone that has normal blood pressure, blood pressure um, at rest isn't really going to be changing. Uh, we understand an, an individual with very high blood pressure, exercise helps to reduce their blood pressure. That's a very, that's a very good thing, right? 
Um, so this right here is showing between aerobic resistance and concurrent training that all of them, right? So kind of this big trend of concurrent training, which is aerobic and resistance exercise, helps to decrease, okay, uh, systolic and diastolic blood pressure. Resistance training helps with that as well. So again, if we're trying to improve blood pressure, okay, we're going to see, obviously, it's kind of showing that, you know, resistance training is very good for that, okay? But the key takeaway that I really want us to know is that exercise, okay, helps to improve blood pressure. And we want the individual to find something that they enjoy. At max intensities, we see an increase in systolic blood pressure because of a harder contraction and a decrease in diastolic blood pressure, okay, at these uh, maximal intensities. Again, uh, it's we mentioned this with class that systolic blood pressure increases, but now what we can see is that, you know, maybe you have a certain maximal systolic blood pressure, but then we'll see that it actually increases um, over the course of four to six weeks. So you have a higher systolic blood pressure again because of a greater, more forceful contraction. Pulmonary ventilation, okay, decreases at submaximal intensity. So we, breathe, our breathing rate lowers. Okay, at maximal intensities, it increases. That's a good thing to try to bring in as much air and oxygen as possible. Unchanged for diffusion, right? So diffusion, the gas exchange in the lungs, okay? Unchanged during rest and submax intensities, but at maximal intensities, it will increase due to the increase in lung perfusion, okay? So we see that ventilation, so breathing at max intensities increases. Submax um, will actually breathe slower, okay? And then diffusion remains relatively the same uh, at rest and submax, but then at maximal intensities, we can see a greater lung perfusion, and so we're going to see enhanced gas exchange there. <clears throat> what we see with uh, resting VO2, it's going to stay relatively the same, okay? Again, if there's no change in AVO2 difference, stroke volume increases, but heart rate decreases, VO2 stays relatively the same. At submax VO2 uh, remains unchanged or might slightly even decrease, okay? Uh, so our muscles, um, in terms of distributing oxygen, we'll actually see that we become, this goes into, uh, we have greater economy, and meaning the athlete is able to exercise at a given intensity with a lower VO2. And then max VO2, as we've mentioned, is going to increase, and that's anywhere between 15 to 20%. Our lactate threshold with training, so we can increase where our lactate threshold is as a percentage of our VO2 max. So instead of our lactate threshold happening at 50% VO2 max, it might be at 75%, meaning we can now exercise at faster speeds, still below that lactate threshold. Our RER will decrease, right, at higher intensities, meaning we become more, we utilize fat more efficiently, okay? If we're utilizing fat, Right? More efficiently, we're sparing glucose or glycogen within the muscles for when we get to having to pick up the pace, maybe a kick towards the end. Right? Uh, and so RER will decrease, which will increase our reliance okay, or utilization of fats. This is just to show us right here between a trained and untrained individual with lactate threshold, 
based off of percentage of VO2 max and based off of a treadmill speed, right? So essentially, we're now able to run at 12 kilometers per hour without feeling that sense of fatigue in the trained individual. Now, that pretty much wraps everything up in terms of our adaptations, but I wanted to include this infographic right here. This is a really good infographic to keep in mind um, and to kind of study from. So VO2 max, again, we're talking about max VO2, right? So always distinguish rest, submax versus max. Okay, what's happening to cardiac output max? Uh, what causes all of those different things to increase cardiac output? What causes all of the AVO2 difference increase? And we're really going to want to make sure that we're focusing on those physiological adaptations that ultimately improve someone's VO2 max. This kind of shows uh, increased plasma volume, red blood cells, more cardiac output, and how it gets more oxygen to the working that skeletal muscle. Again, another infographic. Another one that I wanted to show us is that even though VO2 max might plateau and certain things plateau, aerobic enzyme activity continues to increase. Again, that helps to create ATP faster. If we're creating, creating ATP faster, we can meet the demand at higher intensities. And then this right here is blank. Okay, so this is adaptations to endurance training. There's a box on them, and so all you have to do, it's a white box. You click on it, and you drag it and move it away, but do try to see if you can maybe like fill that in or type into a text box or something right there and then move it so you guys can see the answers to that. And they're right there.